0: Hello and welcome to the Legacy Church Sermons Podcast. At Legacy Church, we help people find their identity in Jesus and their place in His mission to impact the world through the gospel. We ask that you grab your Bibles, listen up, and we hope that you hear a great word from the Lord today. All right, grab your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 20. I guess I should have said good morning. That's probably appropriate. Good morning. Good morning to you. Now grab your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 20 this morning. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. We're we're studying the Ten Commandments and we're really seeking to understand what is the heart of God in the law of God. Why why did God give the law? Why did he give instructions and rules and directions for living? And as we're looking at this, I, I, I kind of find that we've seen each week that the order is everything. The order is the most vital thing. It's gospel first and then the law. Right, God doesn't say, here are my commands, obey everything that I say, and then I might save you, and then I might accept you, and then you may be near to me. It's not that way. God says, I have rescued you as a people. I have made you my own people, and now I'm going to show you how to live and how to walk in my grace and be a people of grace. And the Ten Commandments are there for the people of God to show them how to live and how to love their neighbor. And how to love the Lord their God with all of their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. And I've noticed this in the room and outside of the room. I've had some of you come to me. We've had our eyebrows raised a few times already in the study because we've looked at it and we've celebrated that. Some of us have been very familiar with the Ten Commandments for a long time, and we thought we've understood them pretty well. And yet, when we dive into what's the heart of God and the law of God, we begin to see there's a lot left on the page there for us to still soak in and begin to understand. We've been surprised how bright and shining and life-giving the Ten Commandments are for Christians. Not just for the Old Testament people of God, but for us. There's practical good. There's spiritual delight in life, for us today, found in the Ten Commandments. And, and as we've gone through this, we've hit one, two, and three. Today we're going to hit the fourth commandment. Does anyone know what the fourth commandment is? Sabbath. Sabbath. It's about the Sabbath. It's about our need for and God's desire to meet our need for Sabbath rest. And I want to start this morning by reading, it's going to be a long passage, but a passage from a book that I think really nails the point. The book is called, "Thing: The Way Things Are Working Isn't Working. And it, it's, I think, worth your time this morning. So listen to this, hang with me. The way we're working isn't working. More information than ever is available to us, and the speed of every transaction has increased exponentially, prompting a sense of permanent urgency and endless distraction. We have more customers and clients to please, more emails to answer, more phone calls to return, more tasks to juggle, more meetings to attend, more places to go, and more hours we feel we must work to avoid falling further behind. The technologies that make instant communication possible anywhere, at any time, speed up decision making. They create efficiencies and fuel a truly global marketplace. It's great. But too much of a good thing eventually becomes a bad thing, left unmanaged and unregulated These same technologies have the potential to overwhelm us. No matter how much value we produce today, whether it's measured in dollars or sales or goods or widgets, it's never enough. We run faster, we stretch our arms out further, and we stay at work longer and later. We're so busy trying to keep up that we stop noticing we're in a race we can never win. And all this furious activity exacts a series of silent costs on us. Less capacity for focused attention, less time for any given task, less opportunity to think reflexively or reflectively and long-term. When we finally do get home at night, we have less energy for our families, less time to wind down and relax, and fewer hours to sleep. We return to work each morning feeling less rested, less than fully engaged, and less able to focus. It's a vicious cycle that feeds on itself. Even for those who still manage to perform at high levels, there's a cost in overall satisfaction and fulfillment And the ethic of more, bigger, faster generates value that is somehow narrow, shallow, and short-term. More and more, paradoxically, leads to less and less. Can you relate to that at all? (laughs) I feel exhausted just reading it this morning, right? (laughs) And I I feel it. I I feel it. I breathe it. It's the air, the cultural air that I breathe. And you know what? This was actually written in 2011. That book was written then. And I think about that's not that long ago. It doesn't seem that long ago, but can you consider how much has changed in the past 10 to 15 years in terms of knowledge and information and technologies and the assumed belief that we have the capacity to keep up with it all? And it's on a trajectory, like it continues. Things are more quickly getting quicker every, every single day. And it feels like in some way we're on this treadmill that we just can't get off of. Life is more complicated and tiring than it has ever been before. How many of you, when someone has come to you recently and said, hey, how you doing? Not like, I just, I just almost pulled a joey there for a second. I said, how you doing? I, didn't mean it that way, let me try that again. Hey, how you doing? That's better, how you doing? How many of you recently have said, ah, man, I'm just really busy right now? You said that? And you add the right now because it's not just right now, it's all the time. You're always, always that way. How many of you have done that? you done that? How many of you feel like you keep adding more and more to your life and then it never slows down? There's never a less and less season of life. How many of you, when you leave work, then you go to work? You know what I mean? When you leave work, that's when the big work list of things that you have to do, the family things, the relationship things, the people things, the home stuff, the volunteer stuff, all of the extracurricular stuff, you have a whole work uh, list to do as soon as you get off of work. And some of us, we just don't know how to stop. And and that's the reason that studies show that over 40% of people get less than the seven hours recommended of sleep. How many of you are in that category? You, you, You struggle to get seven hours of sleep at night, yeah? A lot of us are in that way. Uh, it, over sixty percent of people uh, struggle. They struggle with sleep one to two nights a week. They really wrestle in the attempt to fall asleep and stay asleep. Is that you? How many of you at night lay in bed and you have visions of to-do lists dancing in your head? Is that your life? Yeah. That's why another study showed that thirty-eight, or is it thirty-eight percent of people? Thirty-eight percent of people have an, unintentionally fallen asleep in a place in the last month. Have you you done that like on the couch or in a chair? I'm seeing heads nod. Have you done that in traffic at a red light or on the long stretch of highway or at your desk at work or at school? You know, studies show that 50% of you will fall asleep today during my sermon. And this is a reality (laughs) that I wake up to every Sunday morning and I, I, I seek to overcome in some measure. We need to rest. We would like to rest. A lot of us have no clue how to rest. And even when we do rest or when we try to rest, when we make an attempt, it's not the kind of rest that really makes us ready to go again. And believe it or not, this isn't like TED Talk, this is the Bible, and God actually says in the Ten Commandments, in the Fourth Commandment, this is not the life I have for you. This is not the life I made you for. And this is not the good life. It's in the Ten Commandments. I want you to look at Exodus 20, starting in verse 8. Listen to the fourth word of God to his people. Fifty days after he brings them out of slavery, out of bondage, and every way they lived in bondage for over 400 years, and God says to them, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. Why? Well, here's one reason why. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy, set apart. The word Sabbath means to rest from our labors. Literally, it means intermission. It means to take an intermission in your life. Every seven days, take an intermission in your life. And it's interesting to consider this. This is the longest commandment of the 10 words God has for his people. It's the longest one. It has the most detail to it in, in, in describing it. And it's the one that is referenced most and commented on most throughout the Old Testament. And it is a commandment. It's pronounced, listen, commandment, commandment. And I only say that because I've heard some of you talking about it, and you've pronounced it a little different. You've said suggestion. (laughs) That's not how you pronounce it. It's not pronounced recommendation or an opinion. It is, you say it with me, ready, one, two, three, commandment. It's a commandment. And we look at the commandments and we take them pretty gravely seriously. You see, thou shalt not murder. And we go, it's a big deal. We're not going to, I hope, yes, amen. We're not going to do that. It's a very big deal. We take it very seriously. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. But we get to, you shall keep the Sabbath. (laughs) I say it, you say it, we're like, I mean, yeah, I know it's there. Sabbath. I I get it. I get it. But, and then we give every reason in the world why it takes a lesser value in our life than thou shalt not commit murder. These aren't placed in order. These aren't placed with, you know, number one commandments, first level, priority one commandments, and then, you know, lessers, if you can get to it. It's a commandment. And today, we want to look at why is it so important to God That we would have Sabbath rest, that he would make it a commandment. The fourth word to his people after he has released them, if he has freed them, if he's delivered them miraculously from slavery, why does he make this a command for them? And it won't surprise you this morning. I've got three reasons why I think God has commanded the Sabbath. And not just for the Old Testament people of God, but I think things that are vital for us today, and I hope that we can learn from these Old Testament words why it's vital for us and not just for us, but for everyone who watches us and learns how to live life from us. We're so good, listen, we're good at preaching a a work ethic into the world, but we're not good at preaching a rest ethic into the world, and yet God has commanded it. And so I hope today maybe this will help spur us on to just a little bit of obedience towards something that he seems to think is vital for our lives. Here's the first reason why did God command the Sabbath? Why did he make it a commandment? He commanded it to remind us, first, of the point and the purpose of our lives. Knowing and enjoying God is the point and the purpose of our life. The point. The purpose of our life is to know God and enjoy God. I wasn't sure, so I went to the Internet. Ever heard of it? I went to the Internet, and I typed in, what is the point of life? And the Internet had all kinds of answers. Happiness.com is a website, and I'm so happy to find it. But happiness.com says that the point of life has something to do with the things that we achieve that we will be remembered for. With our achievements, the things that will leave a legacy that people will say, oh, remember that guy, he he did this in his days. Our our happiness uh, is contingent upon understanding the point of our life is to achieve. Number two, it's the problems that we solve in our life. That's key in understanding what's the point of your life. What problems will you solve in your days? And the third thing that it suggested is being very active and active in the right things which is all sounds like very good advice. You go online, you type in what's the point of life, and you get those three things. The things that you achieve that you'll be remembered for, the problems that you will face and, and solve in your life, and being very active in the right things sounds like very good advice. And if not, you know, for any other contrast or word, then I might just build my life upon those three things. But when I come to the Bible and I begin in the beginning, which is a good place to start, what I find is God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, you find it. It says there was nothing. The earth was void. And God spoke. And out of who he is and his power and his glory, he separated the waters. He created the land. He created the, everything that's in the land, the sun, the moon, the, the day, the night. That means God created time. There was timelessness. God created the idea of time and of seasons. And then he filled the earth with every kind of plant and every kind of animal imaginable. And the pinnacle of creation, he creates man and woman. God says, God, who is Trinity, says, let us make in our image. Man, male and female, he created them. And God speaks to the first of mankind, to Adam and to Eve, and he says, welcome to earth. I made all of this for you. Look at everything that I have done. This is going to be wonderful. You're going to fill the earth. You're going to be fruitful and multiply. You're going to steward all of the things that I have made. It will be a delight to you. But first, first things first, before you get to work, do you know what God does next? Genesis 2, verse 1, the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed His work which He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all of His work which He had done. And I wonder if you see this or if you've noticed it before, God's last day is mankind's what? First day. First day is Sabbath. Sabbath. The first experience on earth for, for mankind is Sabbath. God says, look, I have made you. You're fresh and you're new. And I've made all of these wonderful things for you. I've given you a place and a thing to do. But first things first, why don't you take the day off? Would you just take a day off and rest with me? And enjoy, let's enjoy the day together. And I want you to see everything that I've done. I want you to to take a good look at the work of my hands. Let's commemorate this day. Let's celebrate this day together. Adam and Eve's first day was a Sabbath day. They didn't earn a rest. They didn't get tired from all of their labors. They didn't work for the weekend, and the weekend never came. So eventually they just crashed, and they had to rest. No, God said, welcome to earth. There's going to be work for you to do. There'll be plenty for you to do in your days. But first and foremost, before anything else is done, take a day off. Take a day off with me and delight in knowing me. That's our purpose. You weren't made for a job. That's not what you were made for. You were made for knowing and enjoying the God who made you. You were made to enjoy the glory and reflect the glory of God, to really know him to know him personally, to love him, to see the things that he's doing in your life and go, thank you, God, you are so good and good to me and the work that Adam and Eve would do on day two and the work that you and I do throughout our lives, it's not that that's bad, it's good, it's good. God gave them the work to do and in that work they can know God and respond to God and live for God and through our work we can know God's love and we can share God's love with others but like so many things in life, God knows that we often will miss the forest for the trees or in this case that we will miss the God who made us for Himself. himself for all of the many things that we fill our life with to do and occupy our time, right? And so God said, welcome to earth. Take a day off. Just, Just get some rest. Just relax. Just delight in, in me, and we're to do this. Even we're to do this. God made this into the fabric of all of creation, into the land, into the animals, into our very beings that we need rest. And God says, one in every seven days, just stop. Just stop before you forget what you were made for. Stop. It's a day to be rather than to do. To remind ourselves that we're called human, what? beings, not human doings, even though some of us really struggle to accept that. Because the tyranny of the urgent and the tyranny of life constantly is convincing us that we have a different purpose. And that purpose often is like achieving things that we might be remembered for. And it's often facing problems that we see in this world and trying to overcome them. And it's often like filling our life with so many activities, maybe, maybe even the right activities but those things become purpose and points of our life rather than knowing and enjoying our God. So it's helpful for us. It's why it's so helpful to see that Adam and Eve and you and me, we have work to do, but their first day, their first day set the trajectory. First and foremost, you were made by God for God, to know him, to love him, to enjoy How many of you, you say, that's what my relationship with God is like. It's enjoyable. It's a delight. That's what you were made for. That's one reason God commands the Sabbath, to remind you of the point and purpose of your life. It's him. A second reason God gave the Sabbath is to remind uh, them and remind us that God is the provider of our lives. He's not only the point, but he's also the provider of our lives. It's another thing that we forget. Look at verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Do your work, okay? But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. In it you shall not do any work. Do you know what this points us to? First, we were pointed back to creation. This points us back to the first time that we see the word Sabbath in the Bible. Do you know where that is? It's in Exodus 16. It's in a moment where right after God miraculously brings them out of over 400 years of bondage, He parts the Red Sea, moves them out into the open in life with Him. And I mean, 50 days later is the Ten Commandments. So you're talking in the first few days, the first couple of weeks of freedom, immediately Exodus 16 says that people begin to grumble and complain. They are filled with anxiety. They are filled with worry. How will we make it out here in the wilderness? What will we have to eat? What will we have to drink? We'll never have what we need to live. And I think back to how God brought them out of Egypt. And so often we think about the miraculous work of God, His hand of uh, work through the plagues and the parting of the sea. And, and I, I think possibly even more than a demonstration for Pharaoh in Egypt that I am God and look what I can do. This was a demonstration for the people of God that they would with every plague See God it will do what he says he will do with every plague that God has control over everything in this world with the parting of the sea God says put your faith in me i've got you let's go i'm the one and yet they get out there and immediately God has brought them by miracles out of slavery and they're like what are we going to do how are we going to live what will we have and God, in his mercy and grace, he heard their cries, and he said, I'll meet every need. In the evening, I'll give you flesh to eat. In the morning, I'll rain down bread from heaven. It will be another one of my miracles. You want miracles? I got, I've got a never-ending flow of miracles for you. I'll rain down bread from heaven. And we hear that word, what is it? Manna. And it literally means, what is it? Because they woke up in the morning and went, what is it? You know, and, and it, It's manna. It's bread from heaven. And God gave them instructions about the manna. You remember God said, you are together just as much as everyone in your home or your tent can eat for the day and no more, because if you do, it will spoil and it will breed maggots by day two. And some of them tried to stockpile, and when they tried to stockpile, it was proven right away, God's word is God's word, it is ever faithful, and it would immediately spoil and maggots would grow in it, and it was no good for the next day. So God said, these are the instructions, and then in Exodus 16, 29 So see, the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. So we're told on day six, each day get enough for your family, but on day six, get enough for two days for everyone in your family to eat. And God, by his power, by his faithfulness, he will protect that manna and it will last for the two days and he will provide just enough for for everyone to last on that day. Remain every man in his place on the seventh day. Let no man go out from his place on the seventh day. So the people rested. They rested in God. They rested in God's provision on the seventh day. They kept the Sabbath holy. Now, I want you to consider this, how so much of the provision of our life is God's created the world this way. It is a result of the work that he has given us to do. Like our effort is involved there. We don't wake up and walk out on the front lawn and pick up bread. That'd be kind of cool. Um, I don't recommend it if you see it. It's probably someone's thrown it in your yard. I would not eat that. (laughs) Most of the provision in our life comes as a result of the work that God has given us to do. The only issue with this, the problem with this is we begin to become convinced that we are the ones who ultimately are sovereign. We begin to believe that we are the ones who are ultimately the providers of our life and I am making a way in this world and we forget that God is the sovereign one, that he is the one who truly gives every opportunity for work, every breath to do work and he is the one who provides even through the work of our hands, that it is God who is responsible and he cares for us. The Sabbath reminds me of something. When I take Sabbath, I'm reminded I didn't make the world like God did. And I don't keep the world spinning. It seems to keep spinning even when I I stop. God does that. Colossians 3 says, it all, or one says, it all is held together by the power of Christ's hands, right? And when I'm reminded of those things, and then I'm reminded that he, that God cares for me, it is a wash over my soul of truth and of remembrance that builds trust. And I, I look at this story in Exodus, and I can't help but think about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a very similar situation then and even now. Remember, Jesus said, why do you worry about what you'll eat and what you'll drink, what you'll wear? Doesn't it sound like like the people of Israel in Exodus 16? Why do you worry about all of these things? The Gentiles seek these things eagerly, but your Father in heaven knows what you need, knows what you need and meets all of your needs. So seek first his kingdom, seek first his righteousness. In other words, take time with the Lord, put your focus on the Lord, seek delight in the Lord, seek relationship with the Lord, and trust all these things will be added to you. You see how that is so similar to the same old problem that Israel was experiencing in the first couple of weeks outside of of Egypt. Seek first his kingdom and trust. God will provide for you. God commanded the Sabbath to them. And in the way that he did so, it is to remind them that he bears the full responsibility for the good and the provision in in their life. Sabbath, when we take it, is this countercultural declaration that says... I don't rest because everything is done. I don't rest because everything is in the palm of my hand. I rest because everything is in the palm of God's hand. And he says to rest in him, and I know his promise is good when he says he will take care of me. And I trust his promises. It's not, it's not you know, in, in the world's way of thinking, it's not logical, it's not reasonable, but in the spiritual way of thinking, if God is sure He has made everything, He keeps everything spinning, and He says, you rest in Me, trust Me, I will take care of you. It's very reasonable then for me to stop and say, no, I I rest because God says this is good, He'll provide for me. It's the second reason God commands us to Sabbath. Third reason God commands us to take Sabbath, the why, is to remind us that God is the Savior of our lives. He's the point of our life. He's the provider in our life. He's also the Savior, the Savior of our lives. You you probably know this, but Exodus 20 is like almost completely duplicated, replicated in Deuteronomy 5. The Ten Commandments are listed again, and in Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, the fourth commandment is is laid out there. And it's interesting, when you read them side by side, you find the first half is almost identical. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, you don't work, your kids don't work, your animals don't work, nobody works, but the why begins to shift, and we see a new reason, another reason for keeping the Sabbath. And In Exodus 20, it was because creation, God created everything, He made everything, and then He rested, and He wants you to rest with Him. But in Deuteronomy, and you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God, he did what? He brought you out from there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to celebrate the Sabbath day. Therefore means this is why, right? And so in the first case, because you were first and foremost made to know and enjoy God, that's Exodus 20. And in this case, because you were set free, Because God is your rescuer, He is your Savior, and it is important to have your mind and your heart and your life set again and again and again on that truth that God is the Savior of your life. The Sabbath gave Israel this space once a week to stop and to reflect, to stop and to reflect on the God of their salvation, to remind them everything had changed. Their worldview had changed. They were slaves no more. God had delivered them from the greatest need of their life, the greatest need. It wasn't the food. It wasn't the drink. It wasn't the stuff to do. It wasn't the problem to solve. It wasn't the thing to achieve. It was deliverance from sin, deliverance from bondage, and God did that all by himself, and it was no problem for him to do so, and no one in Israel added anything to it or contributed one thing to the deliverance that they experienced in their lives. And so as they, on a weekly basis, came back to this Sabbath, they're intended to reflect on that, to celebrate that, to go, God, our Savior, God, our provider, God who delivers us, you are for us. And it would build in them this trust in him, this reliance on him that might wear down as they begin to trust in themselves or other things in the week. Once a week, God, you have saved us. God, you have saved us. We once lived under the cruelty of Pharaoh, but now we have the tender care of our Father in heaven. We once were slaves, now we're sons and daughters. And remember last week, We looked at Exodus 19, and we saw God said, I have set you apart. I've made you a holy nation. You're completely different than everyone on the face of the earth. You're my people. I've made you a kingdom of priests. That's who I've made you to be. We're slaves, our sons and daughters. And you and I know this. You and I know that that their salvation was really just a forerunner. It was a foreshadowing of the salvation that would be offered to all who would trust in Christ, who would turn to Him. John 8 says, who the Son sets free, who the Son makes free, who Jesus makes free, those are free indeed. And we spent a long time in Romans 8 earlier this year delighting in it, learning from it, drinking from the well. And it said, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And then we're told, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fearfulness again. No, you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And so in the same way that This command was originally given to the people of Israel that they would just stop and they would look at the God of their salvation and they would turn to him. So Jesus was sent. He was sent to us to command our attention that we would stop trying to save ourselves by our labors. Jesus was sent to give us rest. You want to hear the gospel in five words? I will give you rest. It's the best gospel presentation I've ever heard in my life. Jesus said, for all of you who are burdened and heavy laden, all of you who are filled with anxiety, all of you who are just going and going and going and you can't see light and you feel like there's no oxygen left in the world, come to me. I will give you rest. And the point is that Jesus himself is the Sabbath. Jesus himself is the Sabbath. And salvation is simply resting in, remembering and resting in his resurrection. It's Sabbath for us. This is our Sabbath truth today. You and I need to stop thinking like slaves and start thinking like sons and daughters. God gave the Sabbath for you, for me. He gave it to us for our good We should take time to recognize and reflect on the blessing that He is the point of our life. We weren't made to do work. We weren't made to achieve. We were made to delight. (laughs) We were made to know God and enjoy Him. That's the, the whole point of it. The entire point of your life is to know God and enjoy Him forever. He's the provider of your life. Yeah, we work. Yeah, we do things. Yes, it it, it is an opportunity God gives us to to share in the experience that he has given us on earth. But it's God who who meets the need. It's God who provides for us. And it's God who saves us. It's God who rescues us. It's God who delivers us. It's God who we don't earn acceptance. We receive receive the delight and the acceptance of our Father in heaven through Jesus Christ, right? Okay, so what do we do with the fourth commandment? What should it look like in our life to keep the fourth commandment? I'll answer that by looking first. How does Jesus treat the fourth commandment? And some of you may say, well, forgive me. I kind of remember from Sunday school, didn't Jesus like blow off the fourth commandment? Kind of feels like he flounced it, like he was stepping all over it all the time. He was being accused of breaking the Sabbath, wasn't he? Well, Luke 6, 1 through 11 is, is one of the big moments in this story. It, it's that Lord of the Sabbath moment. Remember this? Jesus and His disciples are walking along a field and His disciples are breaking off the heads of grain, crushing it in their hands and, and eating as they go. And w- in one of the 39 religious regulations that the Pharisees had created, Pharisees had invented to try to enforce the fourth commandment was you can't reap grain. And so they were caught popping the heads off of grain and eating it, and the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, you guys are breaking the Sabbath. And notice what Jesus, first, he didn't do is he didn't actually break the Sabbath. They broke the Pharisees' interpretation of the Sabbath, and they couldn't stand that. That bothered them to all get out, and so they began criticizing and condemning. And what did Jesus say? Well, first, he didn't say, no, we didn't, and he didn't get into a religious debate. (laughs) No, we didn't. We didn't do that because you made that rule up. Jesus didn't get into a religious debate with them. Jesus didn't say, well, that one isn't really commandment; It's suggestion, and I'm, you know, not doing it today. He didn't abolish it. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? What did he say? He said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. (laughs) In in other words, and I think sometimes we've read that and gone, I'm above the Sabbath. He didn't say, I am the Lord and the Sabbath is nothing. He says, no, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, I'm all about the Sabbath life. Man, the the Sabbath… It's all about me, right? And do you know what Jesus did every other time that he broke the Sabbath that we read about in the Gospels? I looked it up in case you didn't know. Check this out. Seven times that we find Jesus breaking the Sabbath. Mark 1, 29, uh, he breaks the Sabbath when he, their their interpretation, these Sabbath-adjacent rules they made up, when he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Mark 3, he heals a man's withered hand on the Sabbath. John 9, he gives sight to a man who was born blind on the Sabbath. Luke 13, he's healing a crippled woman in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Luke 14, he's healing a man with a condition called dropsy uh, at a Pharisee's house on the Sabbath. Mark 1, 21 through 28, he's casting out a demon of a man who had been demon-possessed on the Sabbath. John 5, he's healing the lame man by the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath. Did you notice the trend of what Jesus likes to do on the Sabbath Yeah, Jesus loves to heal people and bring wholeness to their life and to the world on the Sabbath. That's what the Lord of the Sabbath loves to do on the Sabbath, right? Jesus loves to bring healing and wholeness to people who need it on the Sabbath. We need to take the Sabbath to receive healing and wholeness from Jesus who is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath reminds me Jesus wants to bring the shalom of God. That things would be just as they should be in your life, in your soul, in your mind, in your heart, that things would be just as God intends them. And we really need the Sabbath in order to focus and to receive that healing and wholeness that Jesus has for us. Now, throughout this series so far, we've already been talking about things like what if I've been set free? but I don't feel free, or, you know, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is is so weak. So what if you and I find ourselves in the condition on Sunday afternoon or Monday morning where we go, I'm in Christ, I love Jesus, I even heard the Word of God yesterday, but I don't feel healed or whole. I am so busy. And it's not just right now, if I'm honest, all the time. I'm consumed with achieving and accomplishing and fulfilling and solving and doing. I'm so busy I can't see straight. I can't breathe. I feel oppressed by all the stuff that is on my shoulders that must be done. I'm so busy I can't even... And you fill in the blank with some life-giving things, some Deeply important, valuable thing that you and, I, you and I both know that we need, but we just can't get there, and we feel oppressed and we feel crushed. What do we? What do we do? Well, it seems God has wired the Sabbath, wired us for Sabbath for that very reason. That is the reason the Sabbath is given. That is the reason that God, in everything that He made, He wired everything that He created with a need to receive Sabbath from His own nature. God is a Sabbath giving God who restores, who heals, who gives life and light to mankind, to the earth, to everything that He has made. And when we Sabbath, that's the thing He gives us. He gives us Himself. He gives us Himself. Not stuff. He gives us of himself so what do we do because (laughs) I don't know if you noticed this it doesn't tell us what to do God didn't tell Israel so here's the five things you need to do on the Sabbath which would be very helpful for me it's how I'm wired just give me the checklist so I can get the stuff done and then we can put the Sabbath away and get back to real life he didn't do that he didn't tell them what to do he told them what not to do he said don't work Set the day apart, make it unlike all of the others in this way, don't work. The word keep it holy means to set it apart as different from all of the other days in your week. And then in verse 10 it says, Keep it unto the Lord means it's, it, it's focused on Him. It's not just aimless rest. It's not just rest in general. It's not just I'm just going to cease working and kind of lull myself and hope that I feel better tomorrow. But it is a kind of rest that is centered on focused on Him in such a way that I'm attentive to His presence. I'm attentive to the, the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm attentive to the work of God's hands. I'm looking at Him in a way that is more concentrated, more focused, more disciplined than on ordinary days. I'm seeking to understand God, who are you? Where are you? What are you doing? And God, thank you for being for me. Keep it holy and unto the Lord just tells us what not to do. And like most things in religious circles, there's a lot of debate about what should be done on the Sabbath. And and the best thing I've ever read about this, it helped me the most, was this line. While others like to debate the issue of Sabbath, I prefer to take one. Because it would be so easy, and you know this is true, to walk out of here and start arguing about what should be done or not done. You're going to do it with with the people you live with or the people who are your closest friends. Well, what are you going to do on the Sabbath? I don't know. I think you should do this. I think you should be reading. You should be listening to music. You should be doing art. You should be doing yoga. You should be doing Tai Chi. I don't know, but we're going to argue about it. This guy said, it's not something to debate. It's something to enjoy. It's something to delight in. And that's why I love the framework of Isaiah 58. If because of the Sabbath... You turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and you call the Sabbath a delight. Somebody say delight. delight. Yeah. You call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight. You will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Sabbath is delightful, it's not productive. It's not effective, it's not useful, it's delightful. And it shouldn't be measured or cherished by how much I accomplished or how many things got done. It should be measured and cherished as a delight in and of itself. It's not a means to an end. There are byproducts of having a good Sabbath But that's not what it's about. It is the beginning and the end in and of itself. How so? In the beginning, on the very first day, it was Sabbath. And in the end, when Jesus returns, guess what? Nothing but Sabbath. Delight in the Lord. Delight and wholeness and healing in the Lord. All of the troubles of this world taken away. All of the glory seen for what it is in God. So every time that we keep Sabbath, what do we do? We root ourselves in our beginning and our end. We root ourselves in our point and our final our final purpose. We anticipate the Sabbath that is to come. So I'll leave you with this, something to ponder. I think a lot of us have forgotten how to just sit with God. And I think a lot of us never learned how to just sit with God. Just sit with Him. We don't even know how to just sit with ourselves without scrolling. It's funny, but I mean, did, how many of you got your, your alert from Apple this morning of your screen time? Did you get that? I get mine on Sunday mornings. That's my, my weekly repentance session, right? <laughs> we don't know how to sit with ourselves. We don't know how to just sit with God. But take hope. Hebrews four nine says, There remains a Sabbath for the people of God. There remains for you a Sabbath rest. There's one there for you. For the one who has entered into his rest, Christ's rest, has himself also rested from his works, his pursuits, his proving himself just as God did from his. We're told, therefore, let us be diligent. Let us pursue this. Let us make our aim to really embrace that rest so that no one will fall through Uh, following the same example of disobedience so that we won't fall into believing once again that life is about the things we accomplish, the things we achieve, the problems that we solve, the reputation that we build, or having busy, busy, busy lives. Let's be diligent to pursue this delight in God. I'll give you two questions to think on. Take a picture of this as they come up. The first is, what can you begin to do to make Sabbath rest a delight and a priority, not an obligation that steals life from you. You've seen this. All of the Ten Commandments, they weren't there to steal life, but to create a space in which life can flourish. What can you begin to do to make Sabbath rest a delight and priority? And the second question, how can I disconnect? How can I take an intermission from the busyness of life in order to enjoy the Lord? That your relationship with God wouldn't be one of, though He is our master, That it wouldn't be marked mostly by, oh, yes, Master, oh, yes, Master, whatever you say, Master, serving the Lord, which those things are true, but even more so, we're called sons and daughters of the living God. How can we delight in being his children? Let me pray for you. Father, we come as a people who are obsessed with busy, we are slaves to busy. We, we, I mean, Lord, we have worshiped busy. We've made an idol of busy. We, we, I mean, all of these commandments. We've taken your name in vain by being too busy. If we want to represent who we are by how much of our life is lived, we wouldn't call ourselves Christians, but we'd call ourselves just busy. Help us to see that this command is a command of grace and love. It's a welcoming command that really roots us in in who we worship, who made us, who saves us, who cares for us. It's you and you only, God. As you have said, I, the Lord, am one. There is no other. I shall worship God alone. I won't make idols of my work, my to-do lists, my accomplishments, Lord, help us to worship you through delighting in you. And for so many, Father, the idea of delighting in you just seems far from their experience. And God, we need your help. Maybe we've lived so much in a culture of, of tough religiosity that we have, we have so heavily played the hand of service that we've forgotten the other side is about playing with a God who delights in his people. The Bible is full of of words about your joy and and dancing and your singing and promises of a a day to come when we celebrate together the return of Christ. Help us to be a people who don't just work hard but also rest well with you and that we would rest in Christ and he would be the light and light to our lives. Help us to seek in you life Lord, help us to do this, one, so that we would glorify you, two, that we would experience a rest that would restore our souls, and three, so that we would walk out of here a bright and shiny people because we've been with our God, and like Moses coming down from the mountain with a glowing face, people would go, what is up with that guy? And it wouldn't be yoga or tai chi, it would be, I know the Lord, (laughs) I've been with him, and his glory reigns in my life. And yes, there's trouble in this world, but my Christ has overcome the world. And I no longer live, but he lives in me. That's why I shine. And that many would be drawn to you. Many would come to worship you. That your family would grow because we're a people who delight in you. In Jesus' name, amen.